So I made a big mistake uh, this morning because when my mom came in, she says to me, what happened to the white shirt and tie that I bought you? So then during the music time, I went up to my mom and I said, Mom, if you clap along with me for this entire song, I'll wear a certain tie for you. Well, much to my surprise, she actually came up and she rocked it out with me the whole song. I was, so if you see a certain tie, it's not because I've lost my mind in another week. It's because I'm actually just fulfilling something that I said to my mom. So yeah, there you go. This morning, I'm actually here, though, to talk more about how we can lean into God's vision for human connectedness in a deeper way, and what it would look like for us to experience a richer and more holistic sense uh, of togetherness. And last week, Jeff Martins reminded us uh, that from the very beginning of the Bible, we're told that it's not good for people to be walking around isolated from others, that we humans can only truly thrive when we're together in community. And from the outset, the Bible reveals that we're truly better together than when we are alone. God's vision for His love is that it would flow freely, not just between Him and us as individuals, but that it would flow between all of us together, between one another, to tap into all the unique ways uh, that His love could be expressed through all the different unique people that He made. Um, if you were here last week, do you remember those, some of the stats that Jeff shared uh, about how connected or not people feel these days? Did you find them fascinating? I sure did. Did, did they surprise you? Did they affirm what you generally thought? Did they make you feel sad? So just for a refresher, we're going to throw a couple of them up on the screen again this morning. So Jeff uh, highlighted that the number of Americans, we're Canadians, but not totally unlike, who say they have no close friends roughly tripled from 1985 to 2004, and of course it's probably gotten worse since then. Zero is the most common response when people are asked how many confidants they have. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. It's pretty stunning. Uh, and here's a couple of the consequences to that lack of a sense of togetherness that Jeff highlighted, especially to millennials. 40% of young people describe themselves as worn down, with 38% of young women and 29% of young men worried about their mental health. And today's college students are 40% less empathetic than students in the 1980s. So let's make it a little bit more personal and look at the answers to some of the questions we tossed out to our specific community here uh, last Sunday at the end of last week. Now, I know what we did wasn't a scientific study or anything, and different people will interpret the questions in a widely varied ways depending on how their day was going at the moment. But let's see if there's a little bit of a feel that we can glean from the 144 surveys that came in. So here's a sampling from the nine survey questions last week. So first one. I have a group of people who I can regularly kick back with and have worry-free fun together. Uh, so the answers to this question, uh, on the one hand, um, people were saying there's 73% or so that they said they could positively have regular fun with a group of people. On the other hand, that leaves over one in four without the confidence to respond with a firmly positive answer. 
So here's the next one. I regularly share or confess struggles, challenges, weaknesses, or shortcomings with at least one close and trusted friend. And the stats changed a little bit here. Uh, In this one, there was a solid 69% who did the survey that came out with agreement or better to that statement. But looked at from another perspective, that still leaves approaching like almost a third of respondents not having the benefit of that kind of regular confidant. Uh, now, the reason for that might, not, might be the lack of a safe person to talk to, but it might be just a plain fear of feeling exposed and vulnerable. Nonetheless, it, it reveals that a bunch of us are not experiencing the, the upside of that kind of deep connection. One more question. I regularly look for ways to invite others into my circle, whether at work, school, in my neighborhood, or at church, who may feel like they're on the outside. So if the, the survey answers we collected to this question are a good overall sampling of our church family across our, lo- our locations, it would seem like a whopping 62% of us aren't all that deliberately on the lookout to include people on the fringes of our lives, which arguably leaves a lot of people without the kind of connection God wants for us. So again, to be fair, this isn't a scientific study with professionally crafted questions and factors weighing into the interpretations of these answers, but is it also fair to say that many of us may be needing to engage in giving and receiving more, con- more connecting points than we currently are so we can more fully experience and express the wholeness that God wants for us in our relationships with each other, just as individuals, but also as a wider community? Last week, Jeff did a great job of outlining for us what God has revealed about what experiencing the wholeness of of a human connection looks like. And as with anything of primary importance about what it looks like to live as a complete and whole human being, we're going to take our cues from Jesus, since when God wanted us to know what it looks like to be truly human, He became one of us to show us how. If you're here at Christmas, you'll remember that Jesus is how the character of the invisible God became visible. So over these next three weeks, we're going to explore how Jesus taught and lived what real community looks like. Now, Jeff summarized this picture with a Venn diagram uh, that we don't have that I thought we would have, but that's okay. The top was the circle that said we would eat together. Over here was a circle that said we would pray together. And over here was a circle that said we would love together together. Um, And as that diagram illustrates, we're at our best when in that sweet spot where all three of those circles converge, uh, when we're doing all three of those things in an ongoing way. So today, we're going to talk about what we mean by being better together when we eat together. Now, I'm very pleased to talk about this topic because I think that eating might be my favorite thing to do. And while what we mean by eating together is more about is more than just simply eating food at the same place and time with others, that particular act remains central to opening conduits of connection and togetherness in a very unique and significant way. I also find that when the food that is shared happens to be pizza, that's when I really feel the love in a superlative way. For instance, who wouldn't be tempted to be lifted to the stratosphere of closeness if they got to have connection with someone while eating one of these bad boys. Oh. 
Or what better picture, blending food and a sense of belonging, could there be than sharing a pizza hut? <laughs> Gingerbread house, move over. And then there's this pizza planet. With that one, you can literally invite everybody to the table. And then afterwards, you can continue to share the love over dessert with a decadent pizza layer cake. Or maybe you would prefer a pizza cone. And to top it off, to really epitomize a picture of that union that occurs in a marriage, I present to you the pizza wedding cake. All this talk of pizza is starting to make me sweat. Just give, give me a minute. Oh, that's better. Now, if pizza must sorrowfully be substituted with some other form of nourishment, there is something magical about what sitting across the table from other people we may know well or not at all and sharing in a common meal does for those who take part in it. This activity has an uncanny way of changing our relationships and changing us. Food and fellowship have a beautiful way of breaking down barriers. Now, to be clear, it doesn't have to be just food that's the common denominator to creating environments where these relational bridges can be built. They can happen in any environment where people engage in genuine playfulness with one another, where they make space for friendship and relationship. It occurs whenever we push pause intentionally to share and enjoy the goodness of life with others. This happens in these contexts because things like eating food and drinking coffee and playing games and chewing the fat with each other in living rooms and bowling alleys and restaurants and sports bars opens up channels of communication that are just gushing with opportunities to really get to see and know each other in an authentic and uninhibited way. Where our walls can actually finally just come down a little bit more than they usually do. And that's why I'm not surprised one little bit uh, that in Jesus' ministry, it was characterized a lot by conversations over food around a table. The way that Jesus often went about his mission of looking for people who had lost their way and serving them to show them the radical acceptance and love of his heavenly Father was through this medium of hanging out over a meal at parties and dinner time. In, uh, it says in Matthew eleven nineteen that the way Jesus went about his ministry was that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Someone has noted that the Gospel of Luke references at least 16 mentions of Jesus' social eating habits. One author said that in, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, is at a meal, or coming from a meal. A lot of Jesus' story moves from one experience to, of hospitality to another, and often leads to, the, leads to these meaningful conversations around the table about Jesus' mission and how that intersected with the people he was visiting with. Uh, through the example of Jesus, if, as we say around here, life change really does happen best in relationship, then I'd like to suggest that initiating those relationships happens best with food and drink and fellowship and the conversations that organically emerge from those interactions. So today we want to look uh, more closely at one episode uh, of Jesus' life when he had an encounter with a rough character named Zacchaeus. 
So if you got a Bible, look up Luke chapter 19, or if you want to look at the screen, you can follow along as I read through this story with us. It says there that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of the sinner. But Jesus stood up and, or sorry, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So let's see what observations we can make about this story that might be instructive for how those of us who desire to embody the character and behavior of Jesus might become better together people by eating together with others. Like all of us, Jesus had things to do and places to go, and therefore on this particular day, he, he's en route. He finds himself passing through Jericho. And in this organic flow of life, Jesus gets interrupted from his agenda when he looks up and sees Zacchaeus. It, it seems like Jesus must sense that his father is inviting him into connection with Zacchaeus because he responds by spontaneously reprioritizing his day just to have space to get to, to know this guy when he says, I got to stay at your house today, I think. Jesus isn't worried one little bit about how the way he does life and relationships will affect his reputation. In fact, his choice of someone to connect with in this instance, as well as many others, was deliberately someone who was maybe somewhat feared, certainly was very despised, and was seen as morally inferior by many in the mainstream. So Zacchaeus, being a chief tax collector, was basically a seasoned, state-sanctioned crook. However, when Jesus was called out because he let himself become the guest of a sinner, it didn't faze him at all. In fact, he confidently invited himself over to Zacchaeus to, to give Zacchaeus the dignity of offering him hospitality and intimate fellowship. It might be because of the fact that Jesus was famous that Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly, but could it also be that he just sensed how odd it felt to be unusually singled out by this spiritual leader in a positive way? Could it be that from Jesus' first look, Zacchaeus just felt genuine love and interest flowing from him? We're not told the exact words and nature of the conversation that Z Jesus had with Zacchaeus, but somebody else observed, maybe that's part of the point. It's not the exact words of the conversation that mattered so much, but just the fact of who Zacchaeus encountered at that meal. 
Jesus, the perfect revelation of God's generous heart and transforming love. We know something significant happened to Zacchaeus by being with Jesus because people don't just randomly start liquidating their assets to bless others and make amends. Zacchaeus was changed forever because of the love of God he received in the context of the opportunities afforded over a meal, where he experienced the welcome of God like he had never had before. So how can this story be instructive for people like us today who are seeking wholeness in God and we want to increasingly move from isolation and aloneness to more togetherness and connectedness here and now? How might some of the ways that Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus give us some clues as to what the heart of God looks like when lived out in my ordinary life? As soon as we start drawing parallels like this, I can imagine somebody saying to themselves, well, it's fine and fun for Jesus to act in this beautiful way. It's completely natural for him. He's the son of God. But here's a spoiler alert, I'm not Jesus. But acknowledging this is actually super important. To be able to recognize this is important because then we can move from an attitude of sort of arrogance that we can do anything to a humble heart to trust in Jesus, to do something for us in us that we can't actually do for ourselves. When people choose to follow Jesus, he promises to come and live in them, to supernaturally join his spirit with their spirit so they can hear his voice and actually have the power to do what his love guides them to do. So if this is the case, then in the same way that Jesus simply passed through his day, and had the willingness and awareness to be interrupted and nudged to look up for who his heavenly Father wanted to point out to him, we can expect increasing sensitivity to his voice as we're consciously willing to reprioritize our days on the fly as we're led. And who knows what fun stories will emerge as with God-filled eyes, we actually would look at other people and listen for how God might want us to interact with these precious ones of His. I don't think we should be surprised if at times we have these flashes of insight where like Jesus, we can feel compelled that we must do something in the moment or even strategically that sets us up to be able to get to know someone better in a comfortable atmosphere. Uh, Pastor John Tyson says that instead of always being in such a rush, along with Jesus, we need to reclaim the art of paying attention to what's going on around us. Of course, it's impossible to live like that if, like Sage Ozzy Osbourne says, we're going off the rails on a crazy train. If our lives and minds are so full that we're living on emotional fumes, and the thought of making time for doing eating together types of things sends us into like panic mode, then we won't be in any space to pay attention to God's invitation into friendships with other people. For those of us who are in this predicament, I would encourage us to take some time for quiet reflection with God and discussion with loved ones who know us well to come up with a plan to stop that madness long enough for us to be able to sense 
and have energy to respond to God's nudges, to enjoy relating with others that He wants to introduce to us. Maybe we need to sit with someone we trust to tell us how we need to reprioritize an average week in order to make more space to give and receive hospitality. Also, in the same way that Jesus was wide open to and even sought out people who others had written off and would be happier to ignore, could it be that He wants to give us the same heart? If we see everyone with the eyes of Jesus, like Him, we won't give a flying leap about our reputation and what others may think about the company we keep. Following Jesus makes people from all kinds of backgrounds and worldviews and wild and wonderful and wild and not so wonderful backstories become increasingly fascinating. Every person we bump into becomes a potential treasure to uncover as we carefully look for the unique way God made them, imprinted His heart on them, and is being called to be expressed through them if they could come to know Christ. And as we learn to get our headspace more and more out of a place of self-absorption, to pay attention to what's going on around us, we'll become less like people who walk into the room and say, here I am, everybody, and become more and more like people who walk into a room and say, like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, oh, there you are. As we grow into this Jesus-like headspace, we'll spend increasingly less time trying to seem interesting to other people and spend more and more time becoming interested in other people. And when we treat people we rub shoulders with like this, by front-end loading genuine welcome and acceptance and interest in them, no matter where they might be at, by inviting them into the simplicity of good times around a table, in the same way that we've been loved by Jesus, we will find ourselves making new friends. And we'll have the chance to see God work in their lives and ours at the same time. Maybe if we have those eyes to see, we'll both encounter Jesus in that space and be changed because of that interaction. So to illustrate, uh, I want you to take a look at the screen to hear this story from the life of that pastor that I mentioned before, John Tyson. Uh, Look at the screen and listen to his story, how this plays out. So I was thinking about this as a pastor in New York. One day I got into a taxi and uh, we were driving past a restaurant that was one of my favorite restaurants and it was always popular. There was a line out the door. And I'd struck up a conversation with the taxi driver and he was an immigrant like I was. And there was a lot of controversy at the time about immigrants and people moving with this nation. There was a lot of fear of the other. Who were these people coming in? Would they disrupt our way of life? A lot of political commentary like that. But I, as we began to talk, all of those stereotypes fell away and we just found ourselves being fathers, both from different places, trying to make our way into this country. And as we moved past this particular restaurant with a line out the door, I said to him, hey, have you ever eaten there? Have you tried that food? And he said to me, no, I I always see the lines there. I've always wondered if it's good. So I said to him, hey, if you leave the meter running in the taxi and I run in and grab some of that food, do you want to just sit here and keep talking? And he said, would you really do that? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I ran in and I got him some of this food and it was actually this, almost like a transcendent moment. It was two men from other sides of the world sitting in a taxi, sharing food. 
And all of the stereotypes about who he was and what he represented just melted away. And we had in the middle of New York this little portal of belonging that broke in in the midst of all of the stereotypes, all of the suspicion just opening our hearts, sharing our stories. And it was, it was the, the highlight of my day. And as we got out of the taxi, I realized that's exactly what had happened. This environment of welcome shifted our understanding of each other. And this community of belonging was formed, even for a moment in a taxi on the side of the street in the middle of New York. And I couldn't help but wonder what would happen in our lives if we just paid attention to those little promptings and these environments of welcome, these little portals of hospitality broke out. And if that became a normal practice for followers of Jesus in coffee shops, in workplaces, on sports fields, soccer moms, everybody, there would just be these, this deconstruction of fear and there would be an, an inbreaking of love and welcome. And that may be what we're called to do as followers of Jesus in our time. So the key then to all of this is cultivating a willingness to reprioritize our agendas in a way that God has permission to work in and through us to extend his welcome and friendship in any way that he wants to. Will we let that priority of God's hospitable love for others be the thing that motivates us to create environments where reconciliation with God and others happens more and more? Who might we find at our table? Whose table might we find ourselves at? Let's not rush through life at lightning speed where we only have this minuscule time and head and heart space that just makes us simply skim over the surface in relationships. I don't want us to miss out on the magic of unrushed interaction around all kinds of tables of connection and fellowship. Sometimes, like John Tyson with his uh, taxi driver or with Jesus with Zacchaeus, we may find ourselves invited into spontaneous moments of eating and playing together in a way that sparks what he called a transcendent moment. It can be just as transcendent, however, when moments are prayerfully planned with a heart of love for a growing sense of togetherness. So here in our church family, we're aspiring to follow Jesus' example of better together hospitality in loads of different ways, uh, planned ways, as well as trying to be open to the spontaneous. So for instance, uh, you can join in with many of the ways that we're trying to start parties that throw the doors of inclusion wide open. For instance, it was cool to hear this past week about the Harvest Kitchen at our Welland location. It's grown from being a once a month to a weekly meal where 80 to 100 people from the Welland community join in with hosts from our church family to enjoy a hearty meal and lively conversation. Then there's other environments of initial connection and welcome that are created around things like rock climbing and euchre and volleyball in our shelter community. I hear that tomorrow for the first time, it's going to happen in the shelter through a group yoga opportunity, which could just as easily be destroyed if I decided to show up in my pizza, pizza pattern tights, but I will not. And in the not too distant future, we're going to initiate uh, some more community around various creative expressions at a renewed regular arts group too. Uh, in Vineland, part of the building relation chip bridges with our migrant worker friends every year includes barbecuing a whole lot of jerk chicken and playing epic games of dominoes along with social outings and visits at farms and in homes. Uh, eating together 
opportunities are also going to be happening for nine weeks, uh, nine Wednesday evenings here, right here at our building, starting on January 29th when we start the Alpha Course, which includes a yummy meal, some fantastic conversation-stimulating content, and open discussion all around a table where diverse people can explore the big questions of life. So if you're exploring what faith in Jesus is all about, or you're curious about what Christians believe and why they believe it and want to have a discussion about that with others, even as you could be in a safe environment to talk about where you're coming from and what has shaped your beliefs, sign up in the lobby today at the Welcome Center. There's a growing number of us who are actually getting pretty excited about taking that journey together over the next couple of months. Uh, We're going to hear in just a little bit more from Mandy uh, about how we want to practice the value of becoming more human and these better connections by eating together at at our party time potlucks that are going to be hosted in numerous homes from within our congregation on a few Sundays from now, January 26. In my humble opinion, I hope that everybody, like this whole room, uh, signs up to try this experiment out. Whether you sign up to be a, a host or a party thrower or show up with anticipation, even if there's a little trepidation to be a party goer. Um, extroverts, introverts, new people, people who've been around forever, artsy people, sporty people, numbers people, couch potatoes, work with your hands people, work at a desk people, not working right now people, people in the long on the journey of recovery people, early in recovery people, contemplating recovery, glad people, sad people, mad people, single people, attached people, old people, young people, everybody is invited to sign up for the fun. Um, And and I hope that once you do, the after effect of that would be that you would leave that experience with a deep sense that you actually matter and that you belong and that you could grow with other spiritual seekers here at Southridge. Uh, Many of us in the room have also had the pleasure uh, of of connecting and eating together ways within the context of a Southridge life group. Uh, Different groups do the eating together and playing together thing uh, differently, but all of them are encouraged to figure out ways of having fun where the walls can start to come down, to open up uh, the possibility for deeper connection and meaningful, life-changing conversation. In the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll have another Next Step lunch that will be happening on February the 2nd, And you'll be hearing more about life groups and the chance to get connected into a group of about 8 to 12 people for regular interaction to nurture the kinds of friendships that can cultivate life change in each of us. My life group is super diverse. We've got empty nesters, a couple with growing kids, blue collar, white collar, no collar, back to school, singles and marrieds, people facing different economic and relational realities, and we're all thrown together in a big soup uh, where, where we are doing our best to let brotherly and sisterly affection be, hold the day. So we want to grow in that. Every other week, we have the privilege of sharing a potluck meal, although one couple takes the lead in the food and hospitality department, I must admit, which, includes, which often includes the chance to, to check in about things of faith and where the rubber meets the road in our lives. This past week leading up to our group, I, going into it, I was feeling like a zombie. Um, but our life group experience this past Tuesday was just what the doctor ordered for me. We indulged in homemade meatloaf, roasted vegetables, coleslaw and rolls topped off with a layered cookie cake dessert that one person brought, who, by the way, can experiment on me with their creations all they want. 
The meal was so good that one person exclaimed, it was scrum shitty. I'm pretty sure they meant to say scrumptious in a superlative way rather than almost a swear word. But you get the point. Dinner was super tasty. But it wasn't merely the food that left me feeling satisfied. It was, it was that, whole I, that whole feeling of eating and playing together that led into a chance for us to take part in a conversation that could hopefully help us to grow up a bit more in our journey with Jesus. And that's not to say we did it perfectly. There can always be awkward moments as we fumble along and relating to each other well. But I left our group feeling really glad I came. And though each time we gather, the details of the meal and the conversation are different, the goal and prayer is that we would leave times like that changed, because like Zacchaeus, we've met with Jesus. Last week, Jeff's closing application invited us to consider that as we start off uh, in a new year, in a new decade of our lives, to what degree have we been living this better together life? Or to what degree have we been succumbing to this selfie way of going it alone? finding ourselves in the not-goodness of, of being alone. And the goal of last week was to simply start taking stock of that in our own lives and to assess some of our t- togetherness or individualistic habits. So this week, I want to close by just drilling down a bit more specifically by inviting us to assess our eating together habits. Three things. One, Am I feeling the, the effects of going it alone, of a going it alone life by using food simply as fuel to be scarfed down on the run, and my only form of downtime consists of Netflix for an hour before bed to numb my brain before crashing into a restless sleep to do it all over again tomorrow? Or will I take the opportunity to reflect long enough to come up with a plan to stop the madness? so that I can benefit from the meaningful relational giving and receiving that makes us human and breaks down barriers that only comes over unrushed time, over a meal or a shared recreational experience. Two, am I focused on simply making sure that I keep my insulated, uh, exclusive friendship circle where everybody is just like me, intact at all costs? Or... Will I open myself up to the possibility of surprising relationships that God wants to introduce me to in eating together situations so that I could host or say yes to, where I can give and receive His love in amazing ways that I'd miss out on and never be able to experience otherwise? And then finally, three, what is my next practical move to becoming a more better together follower of Jesus by changing how, when, and with whom I open myself up to eating together with. It may be some of the things that I've suggested this morning. It might be a surprise encounter with a short gangster type who works for Canada Revenue Agency when you look up into a tree when you're on a walk. Probably won't be that, but don't be surprised if God shows up and introduces other people to you in unexpected ways as you would consciously follow Jesus and listen for his voice. In that way, we can be welcome to the adventure of blessing and blessing of being a more fully rounded and whole, better together kind of human being by being open to eating together in a Jesus kind of a way. So you ready to eat?
Let's pray. God, uh, from start to finish today, I just want to say thank you for uh, the way you've loved on us, the way you've showed us your heart, the way you want to welcome us into intimate, connected friendship with you, and how you desire for us to actually experience that with one another, and that our heart could grow as wide as yours so that that could include everybody. Help us to contemplate these things and to allow you to make whatever changes you need to so that we can actually enjoy and really, truly enjoy the gift that you've given us in each other. In Jesus' name, amen.